but I also wanted to create a gift for others in that they could learn from my experiences and how to get through to the other side. It's what my keynote speech is about now is really about how to focus on gratitude to get to a life of opportunity and grace. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. Hey, can you do me a favor? While you're listening to this podcast, can you open a web browser and type in officialnatashamiller.com? Yes, this is my brand new website that I built for you. Entrepreneurs that want to scale and grow their businesses. It's packed full of information, articles, blog posts, podcasts, and also you can download the free Profit Finder Guide that helps you find more profit in your current business. You can get on the wait list for my digital course and be the first to know when my book, Relentless, is up for presale. Andrea Houston is the founder and CEO of Artitudes Design, Inc., podcast host of the Lead Like a Woman show and author of the book, Stronger on the Other Side, written to empower women with the power to choose their own path. Now let's get right into it. So the pandemic, the first few weeks of the pandemic, we lost $500,000 off our top line because we were working with live events for big companies like Microsoft, Tableau, and Cisco. Everyone canceled their huge live events. And these are live events of 20 to 50,000 people. So we were doing backstage support. We were doing supportive speakers. We were writing content. We were creating visuals. And it all went away. So we ended the year only down 11%, which was really good for us because we quickly pivoted into the virtual event space. So we were able to regain some traction with smaller events, never with bigger ones because they're still not out, but it really worked out for us in the end. And now we're seeing large events coming back. Not right now, but the first one we have on our book is July of 2022. So I would say we survived, but we also thrived because we were able to pivot a bit. And frankly, it gave me some time and attention on my own brand, the Lead Like a Woman brand and Stronger on the Other Side. So it was nice. It was nice to get that space to do some other creative and fun stuff. I'm right there with you. We have a very similar parallel story, but we'll get to that maybe off camera. So right now, (laughs) what is your current role at Artitudes and are you working in your business or on it or hybrid? So I'm mostly working on my business. I am the director of strategy. I'm the CEO and founder, and I do the things that I love to do. So I love to create culture with my team. So I run all the meetings where we do things of interaction and we have a virtual team now. We close down our offices. So I have employees in four different states. So keeping that connection is vitally important. So I do that. That's my favorite thing to do. But I also do strategy with clients because I absolutely love it. The other thing I've really focused on. I've been a speaker coach for 15 years. However, I've been able to really focus on my script whisperer title, which I love to do. So I love to take scripts and help people connect with their audiences and really focus on working with speakers and speaker coaching and stage presence. It's been a gift. 
Yeah, it sounds amazing. And it really leads me into the earlier part of your answer. It leads me into how do you keep your employees both engaged and inspired? And now, especially since they are remote and in four different states. You know, we work hard at it. I have to say, you can't just sprinkle uh, fairy dust and think it's going to work. You actually have to talk to the employees to find out what they want. So I have an outstanding COO who spends time every other week with every single employee. So he does those conversations and he reports back to me what's going on in their heads. And we create things from there. Like yesterday, we had a BYOB happy hour online with everybody there. We showed our childhood pictures and we talked about spooky experiences for Halloween. Next week, we're doing a two-day strategy session with our team, really diving deep on what they need. But we've done things like boxes of candy. We have sent snacks. We've sent plants. We send presents periodically just to keep people engaged. We've we've also done cooking classes together and that's really fun. So just things to be engaged with each other, but to be aware of what each person needs because it's different for everybody. It really is. How many employees do you have right now? We have 11 full-time employees right now, but we also have a base of about 20 different contractors we call on. Now they're not involved in all the meetings, but we try to keep them engaged to some degree too. Yes. So what do you do for the introverts and the extroverts and the shy people and the outgoing people? And I have a smaller team now because of COVID and I have such a strange, you know, dichotomy. I mean, people are different. There's some that are hard to reach because they won't say what they want or need. So that is the reason my COO reaches out to them every other week, because we need to know what they need. And there are a lot of people who won't speak up. I too have introverts and extroverts on my team. And what's been really, really impactful are the conversations where he can pull out from those people, the one-on-ones rather than one-on-many and just a talking head, because that just never seems to work. So by doing that, we're able to focus on each person individually and what they bring to the table and what they need from the company and from the team. It sounds like he's an employee whisperer, and I think that's wonderful. I haven't thought of having someone (laughs) other than myself gather that intel. So I love doing this podcast because I ask the questions, honestly, that I want to know for myself and my business, but I also know my listeners are looking forward to. So thank you. Awesome. We're going to go deep. What inspired you to create the Lead Like a Woman show? Oh, so Lead Like a Woman show is my podcast where I interview female leaders who are empowering others. The whole goal is to empower other women. I started my life in a family that did not value women. And I love my parents and I love my brothers, but I was a second-class citizen. So I always felt other. That is a word that I've chosen is that I felt other because I wasn't a boy. And so for me, it took a lot of guts to go out on my own. And I've always had guts, (laughs) but I found my voice when I was an exchange student in Denmark when I was 16 and 17 years old. So when I came back, I found that I could have a say and believe in my own voice. And it changed the entire trajectory of my life. And so starting the Lead Like a Woman show during the pandemic really helped me focus on women and what they need to not only survive, but to thrive and how to empower them. And it is one of the best things I do now because I get to spend time talking to these women and learning about their superpowers and how they use them for good. I mean, listen, when I looked at the title, Lead Like a Woman, it reminded me of the campaign, Run Like a Girl. Yeah. Right. 
We're the Nike campaign. So outstanding. Tough as hell. We're soft in places too, but we're so powerful in general. And any man really thinking about what a woman does in their life and in this world will also understand that. But I'm interested in hearing about what was it about being a woman that was the other? So I grew up with parents who are not even baby boomers. They're older than that. So they're called traditionalists because they were born before World War II. So very traditional household roles. And while my mother worked as a teacher, she worked as a teacher. Do you know what I mean? So a teacher was a very acceptable role for a woman back then. I never, and I apologize to my parents for saying, but I never felt supported to be able to say, I can do whatever the heck I want. I do and be whoever I want. And so that had to come from within, really. So being other in a family full of boys, I mean, I'm the middle child and I have a brother on each side, which is great. However, in order to really survive and thrive, I had to find my way through and kind of push through. So for me, it was really about creating value for myself and then learning who I was so that I could support other women. And what do they think of you now? The owner, CEO, founder Mm -hmm. of an incredible business, you plowing your way through speaking and the podcast and the book that we'll talk about. What is their feeling about this? So I believe they're proud of me. I do believe that they are ultimately proud of me because I've pushed through barriers that have been there for centuries. Sorry to say, I try not to have that in my language, but sometimes I have felt like a disappointment in my life to my parents because I was not typically who they thought I should be. A wife, a mother, a person who really takes care of the home fire. I do that too, because I'm all in with everything I do. But pushing through those barriers and working with CEOs of Fortune 100 companies and really believing that I have a place at that table because I have something to give has been different for them. My mom says that her buttons burst on her shirt every time she thinks about me because she's so proud. So I think that's adorable. (laughs) So I do believe, yeah. My dad told me recently during a heart-to-heart conversation that he is very proud of me. So I do believe that as well. But it took me almost 50 years to believe that. Right. That's tough. We're going to move into the book. So Stronger on the Other Side is your memoir released earlier this year. And I will oh, like on to- my 50th birthday. <laughs> what were your whys for writing and publishing it? So for me, I believe that the world has a victim mentality. A lot of people do because it's so easy to fall into that victim mentality. The world is out to get me. Somebody cut me off driving. What a jerk they are. All the things that add up to kind of a a really low pace in your life because you don't believe you have the power to push through it. So my why was really to focus on victim mentality and how to get out of it and how to be grateful. My book is about my befores and afters in life. And there are a lot of them. There's before and after infertility treatments and adopting two boys. There's before and after being in a coma for 17 days and losing everything based on that. My, it was a very difficult time in my life and I was definitely in victim. The before and after of my house burning down. And then the before and after of a dear friend and employee who died of cancer quite suddenly, who'd been with us for nine years. So it's really about how the universe knocks me on my ass and I have to get up and figure out how to use gratitude in my life to move forward in a positive way. 
So I'm wondering, since releasing it, what surprises have you encountered at publishing it and having people read it and having people in your life that know you, but now they know some things about you that aren't table topics? So I decided to put myself out there because my life is a gift. Every day above ground is a gift for me. And I believe that fully and wholly. And I am an optimist now. I didn't used to be, but I'm definitely the glasses overflowing type of a person. And I think it drives some people crazy. But the way that I was able to put my book out there and really connect with people who didn't know me or thought they knew me has been an epiphany in a way, because people have these preconceived notions about you. And by using my book as a tool to connect with people, it's been amazing to hear different stories from other people. And I would say what surprised me most is people are more willing to share with me now because I was willing to share with them. The book was written for me, to be quite honest. I mean, it was a gift to myself for my 50th birthday. I released it on April 7th, the day I turned 50. And I'm really proud of the fact that I did that, but I also wanted to create a gift for others in that they could learn from my experiences and how to get through to the other side. It's what my keynote speech is about now is really about how to focus on gratitude to get to a life of opportunity and grace. Do you think that you would have been able to identify these factors that you're now able to embody 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago? No, I was absolutely not in the place to do that. I was living in victim. I thought the entire universe was out to get me <laughs> because of all these things that I experienced in my life. And it was brutal. There's some brutal mental anguish in there <laughs> because I couldn't see the forest with the trees. I was stuck behind a big trunk of a tree and I couldn't get around it. So I don't think I had the personal knowledge or the wherewithal to really see how these things have been a gift in my life rather than a detriment to my success. And what was the turning point? What led you to this realization and the flip? Because you really have flipped your script. My flip actually happened after I was in a coma. So that was 13 years ago. And I had an elective surgery that led to the coma. So it was something that I chose to do. So I take responsibility for my part in that. But I woke up from that coma and my life changed completely. A switch was flipped, especially in my business. I no longer had to control everything. I touched 85% of the projects that came into the company before I was in a coma because I was out of my business for eight months that year. I got back to my business part-time and I realized that people did what they were supposed to do. I had hired people who were smarter than me which is such a gift because they were able to keep going with the company. And I came back and I realized I didn't have to be HR. I didn't have to be accounting. I didn't have to be project management. I didn't have to do any of the things I didn't want to do. And we would thrive. And you didn't probably think back then that not doing all of that is actually better for your business, better for Absolutely. the potential sale, even if you never want to sell and better for your employees better for you, better for your husband, better for your kids. And I didn't know that either. I thought that if I wasn't working in my business, rolling up my sleeve, I'm from the Midwest, just, you know, in the trenches with the rest of my employees day to day, that I would feel bad, that I would not look good to my employees, mm. that my clients would stop calling. Guess what? Nobody cares at this point. So exactly. not only did we 
hire great people and people that are smarter than us, but we somehow set up systems and processes to let them flourish. And I think, yes, the reason I'm talking about this is I want listeners to hear this because I know so many new entrepreneurs, even people with a couple million dollars in revenue Mm -hmm. aren't there yet. And they're like, well, I love what I do. I'm never going to give this up. Or my clients would never book us if they're not talking to me. And I just, so not true. it's so hard to get it through somebody's mind, yeah. even if your name is the company, right? Yep. It doesn't exactly. have to be you. So, so I have a story around that. I'd like to briefly I'd tell. Love to hear I it. had, so I hired a business coach years and years ago. He was my very first business coach and he showed me this graphic with the CEO in the sun and everything, every spoke of a wheel coming out. And it was HR and it was payroll and it was finance and it was projects. It was everything. And he said, if you truly want to be the CEO, your company needs to grow. You need to move yourself out of the center and up to one of the spokes. And then you fill the spokes with the people who can do what they can do well and are smarter than you. Some of the best advice I ever received, but it was hard to put into practice. I was going to say, how did you do it? Because what I realized- I didn't. Yeah. When I was coaching a new entrepreneur, I was talking so high level and she was like, but how do I do it? And I'm like, Uh oh, people need to know step-by-step from the very bottom. And as entrepreneurs that have been in business for 20 and 30 years, we don't see that anymore. No, we don't. So honestly, I couldn't do it. I did not do it <laughs> until I had a forcing function in my life. And that was the coma. Oh, you know what it prepared me for is when my house burned down and I needed to step away from the business to really focus on rebuilding our lives that I was able to do that because I had moved away from the center and nothing depended on me anymore except for culture and strategy. And how long were you away for the rebuild of your life? You know, the rebuild, yeah, it was off and on for almost a year, Mm -hmm. but I really had to focus on bringing that house back to life. And so we did, but I had the ability to do that because I had a stunningly, amazingly intelligent team who could really take the reins and move forward. doesn't mean I've always made good hiring decisions, mind you. But you know what? I had people who you know, do. what's the hardest part of running a business, period, end of story? It's people. People. It's we're so complicated. The communication yes. styles are different. The Absolutely. So back to the book. As someone who's yes. going to be putting a book out next year, what are your goals for the books? And I want to hear both how many books you want to sell, how many books you want people oh. to read. Do you want to make money from it? Is money not important? Is it to advance your authority and get speaking engagements? I want to really hear what the goals are. But you know what? People think various things about why someone's putting a book out and how much money they're really making. And I think that you might have some good answers. I do. So I wrote this book. I'm going to show it again. Uh, Stronger on the other side, the power to choose as a business card. So my book is a business card. My book is an entree point into conversations and keynote speeches. That's exactly what it is. And I am happy to give my book away to people who attend. I am happy to send them to Amazon to buy one. But my book was never meant to make a ton of money. And that sounds horrible to say. But what really was created for was visibility. Now, I am a best-selling author on Amazon twice over, which is amazing to me. But I'm in the midst of writing the next book. 
And the next book is called Lead Like a Woman, Tales from the Trenches. And I, it's a 10 author book where all women entrepreneurs and CEOs who are going to tell their story of the mistakes they made and how they worked through them to become stronger on the other side. So it's really exciting to me. It looks like it's going to be a series because I have a lot of interest in it. So the first one should be out in March or April. Wow. Okay. We're going to have to talk about strategic partnerships, which I think is really important for entrepreneurs to think about. Yes. I learned years ago from one of my advisors that businesses, and we can parlay this into other things, businesses that get to about five or 6 million in revenue need to think about strategic partnerships, push them up and over that. And you and I working together on book launch, definitely it's business related, but it's stronger, stronger together, right? Yes. It's exciting. I just just inserted myself in your book launch. I think it's great. (laughs) Let's go. Yeah. So I'd love to hear what you're looking and hoping to do in your life for the next few years. I don't need your five Mm. or 10 year plan. Things change, but what is your like laser focus right now? So the tip of my spear right now for me, and I love calling that it that is really to get out there and speak more, but also to coach speakers. I find that if I could coach speakers and speak 12 hours a day, I would be happy. I'd be exhausted, but I'd be happy. I absolutely love helping speakers connect with their audiences. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I love connecting with audiences. So if I could do more of that and really, really focus on doing that all the time, I think I'd be brilliantly happy. Okay. So the last main question I have for you is with that in mind, those endeavors, those new endeavors, and you have artitudes, will you look at selling, really being like a 1% absentee owner? And that's not a negative word in business. What are your plans? Is that going to phase out or do you need that to still inform the next few years. So I still need attitudes to inform the next few years because all my speaker coaching is coming from those clients. However, I'm working with an investor right now who's looking at coming in and doing an investment in the company and eventually buying me out and keeping me as the founder since that's my position. I'm the figurehead at the top right now. But I'm moving myself out of the day-to-day work and it's just brilliant because it frees me up to do what I love to do and what makes me money. Andrea talked about working on her business rather than in the day-to-day, employment engagement, and why she started her podcast and wrote her book. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs.